Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. Or not. So we've had a big day. Today is Monday. Mm-hmm. Mondays are big in general, but it's also uh Indigenous Peoples Day and National Coming Out Day. It's a big day. It's a big fucking day. On top of being a Monday. Yeah. And we're not recording on a Tuesday, so it's a fucking miracle. Yeah, we're a day ahead of schedule this time. Boom. Killing it. Um, so in thinking about Indigenous Peoples Day, um, I was thinking, so I'm from a small town in like the central northern part of North Carolina, and um, I grew up near a Saponi community, mm-hmm. a Saponi tribe that's still fairly active. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have space in the museum in my hometown, which was really cool. But I realized when I went to college that most people don't have that experience and don't even know really uh, what tribes are on or from the land where we currently are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I Googled it. Oh, So uh, today we honor the diverse indigenous peoples connected to this unceded land. In North Carolina, this is the land of the Kohari, the Eastern Band of the Cherokee, the Saponi, Lumbee, Marin, and Okanichee Band of the Saponi Nation, and the Waccamaw Suan, and many others. And many others. Absolutely. Thank you for saying those names. Yeah, um, I may have butchered one or more of them, so... Let me know. Um, but it's just something to think about because most people, I mean, indigenous history is taught up until the 1900s, mm-hmm. if that. And then at that point, it becomes white man history. Um, That's a good point. So I think it's really important to continue learning. Maybe I'll share some book recommendations this week, too, um, for indigenous peoples. I know that there are lots of great children's books i'm gonna have to do a little bit of digging for other Mm -hmm. um non-fiction books absolutely people love when you share book recommendations by the way oh for sure so um i also occasionally get book recommendations from people who have listened to the pod Mm -hmm. which is super exciting for me my book list is getting really long i love that i received feedback to why my uh why when i was camping all my stuff was sticking to my cast iron skillets because it's not seasoned enough Oh, I need to oil all my pound. Yeah, you do. <laughs> all that. All. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, now we know about cat. I mean, it's just good information in general. Yeah. I think. Thanks, listeners. Also, never wash Love your you. cast iron with soap. That's right. Yeah. I knew that part. That's right. Yep. I wonder if Ray Lewis knows that part. Oh, great question. Could be why it's sticking. You're washing <laughs> all the oil off. <laughs> Uh, it's also National Coming Out Day. Happy it National is. Coming Out Day, Allie. Happy National Coming Out Day, CA. I'm so glad we're here. We're Me out too. and we're proud and we got things to say. We got lots to say. That's why that's why we're here. Um, also, in terms of things to say. Oh, yeah. I'm drinking out of one of Allie's mugs as we record and it is Shane. And it says, I'm looking very Shane today. And I have to say that I am feeling very Shane today. But I don't feel like I'm looking very Shane today. Does it say look? It does say look. It says I look very... Oh, that's like the knockoff. Yeah, looking very Shane today. Interesting. Yep. 
Um, um, oh, is it looking in the show? I or feeling. I think it's feeling, but you know, copyright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Etsy, the Etsy store was like, oh, Schmalene mm. <laughs> eh. gave me that. Aw, mm-hmm. thanks, Schmalene. Thanks. Zipping out of your cup. So the way that we did this introduction today, although a little disjointed, um, also leads right into my topic. Oh, what you got? Well, first, I'm going to share a little bit of my coming out story. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Just a smidge. And then I'm going to tell you my topic. But first, let's go. Let's start with an upper before we get to a roll downer. So, like, prepare your body for this roller coaster. Good. All right. So, I came out in 2009, Mm. July of 2009, as a wee babe. I remember crawling into my mom's bed, and I told her, like, before promptly like bursting into tears yeah that's how it goes yeah um and it hasn't been an easy ride for many reasons over the past 13 years mm-hmm. 12 mm-hmm. lucky 13 math is Ooh, hard doesn't matter math is hard <laughs> um but i was really fortunate to grow up with an immediate family that was really supportive and while they didn't always understand they have always tried my mom's immediate response when i told her was i don't care who you love just love them wastefully hmm um, your family's so fucking poetic i know i know this is who i get it from like mm-hmm. um oh your grace she's and beauty elegance. and she's grace <laughs> eloquence um loving someone wastefully as in like having an abundance of love to give them as if it's not a finite resource that you will eventually run out of mm-hmm. is a phrase that i had heard before but was really grateful to be reminded of in that moment like I was already kind of dating my first girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to go off to college. I was kind of a chicken and told them like a week before <laughs> I moved out. I'm gay, bye. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I was like, I'll deal with all of this later. Mm-hmm. So, and I did. I absolutely buried it under the rug Shove until that relationship <laughs> ended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. dealt with coming out a second time. Yep. And... Sometimes it takes more than than one time. People come out multiple times. Yeah. For multiple reasons. Yeah. I remember having to explain the Kenzie scale to my mom. Um, So the Kenzie scale is like a one to six, how gay are you type scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like trying to explain it in terms of black and white, which really we know it's kind of a spectrum of color. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a Hence the rainbow. Right. Um, And she was like, well, if black is gay and white is straight, like how gay are you? And I was like, mom, I'm pretty dark. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, here we go. It's here we be go. a wild ride. Um, so unfortunately, many parents are a lot less understanding. This episode is going to be covering a more difficult topic. And if you feel the need to skip to Allison's part, we fully understand. But today we're going to be talking about conversion therapy and aversion therapy. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. So, coming out in of itself is hard, not knowing how your parents are going to react, even if you think it's going to, like, be good. You, there's still anxiety. You still really never know. Um, so, this is what happens when shit goes really wrong. Mm-hmm. The larger conversation here is conversion therapy. Conversion therapy's main goal is to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. This often involves isolating LGBTQ plus individuals and sending them to camps and conferences where they are coached into believing that their gender identities and sexual orientations are unnatural or sinful. However, conversion therapy did not start in religion. 
Okay. Um, I mean, going back historically, religion and psychology and medicine, like, we're all very much intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to be really looking at the psychology piece of this. So, um, aversion therapy is when a person is conditioned to dislike a certain stimulus due to pairing it with an unpleasant stimulus. Think back to, but I'm a cheerleader, uh, Mm -hmm. where Sunit is shocking herself in bed. Mm -hmm. Like every time she has an inappropriate thought, she like shocks herself, except she's kind of getting enjoyment from it. Mm -hmm. Or like if you're trying to quit smoking, you might pinch your skin if you crave a cigarette. Mm -hmm. But it's built upon behaviorist research, which suggests that conditioning is is a highly effective uh, form of learning. Chemical and electrical aversion have been the most commonly employed techniques. So in 1965, Time Magazine ran a short article about homosexuals. Oh, We're gonna, oh good. <laughs> we love when Time Magazine in the 60s is I just running. feel so seen <laughs> by Time Magazine in the 60s. Yeah, so here's a direct quote from the February 12th issue um, in 1965 the article is entitled homosexuals can be cured no Fear not. Uh, yeah. no way it did not say that it absolutely did yep and that's not even the direct quote that's just the name of the article it gets worse <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> okay okay quote one reason why homosexuals are so rarely cured is that they rarely try treatment too many of them actually believe that they are happy and satisfied the way that they are. No, it doesn't say that. Another reason, says Philadelphia's Dr. Samuel B. Hayden, is that there are too many psychiatrists that are still inhibited by the 85-year-old pessimism of Freud. Oh, my God. Who was convinced that the condition was discouragingly difficult to treat. I actually don't hate Freud here. So it's interesting to note, Freud believes that all or believed that all children were inherently bisexual and developed a fixed sexual orientation in adolescence. Okay. In fact, he really didn't seem to believe that there was a need to be to fix or treat homosexuals at all. Hmm. So whether this was twisted to say it was just difficult and he was discouraged or whether he just didn't feel like it needed to be treated. Mm-hmm. Either way, he wasn't really into it. Mm-hmm. So I don't hate that. I don't hate that for you, Freud. No. Do hate this other guy. What's his name? Michael B. Jordan? Uh, Samuel B. Hayden. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very close. You're going to hate him a lot more in a few. Oh, no. So he's just like, people aren't trying hard enough. Yeah. Pe- how dare they be happy and satisfied the way they are? <laughs> Why would you love yourself when you could hate yourself forever? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but... Very close. Mm-hmm. Right on the nose there. All right. So in 1967, aversion therapy had already been developed and had really hit the market to, like, quote, unquote, cure homosexuality. So this was being used under the umbrella of conversion therapy. We have aversion with an A. The British Medical Journal published an article that detailed attempts at, quote, treating a group of 43 homosexual men. The researchers from the hospital in Manchester, um, M.J. McCullish and M.P. Fieldman, showed volunteers Mm -hmm. slides of men. Now, that remember, 43 men, they're showing them slides of men. They told the volunteers to keep looking at the slides for as long as they considered it appealing. After eight seconds of the slide being shown, 
The test subjects were given an electric shock. No way. Slides showing women were then presented, and the volunteers were able to look at them without any punishment involved. Of course, I was writing my notes a little late and didn't have time to reach out to the many people who have offered to let me use their uh, university logins for library access, so I couldn't read the entire research article, but apparently the findings were startling. And of course they fucking were because people were being shocked. I'd lie my ass off too. Mm. Like, it's not that hard to stop looking at an image if you know you're going to be shocked. Yeah. So I think we can safely throw out this research study. Um, But a lot of people were using this to say that aversion therapy was working. Every research study you have ever mentioned on this podcast has been fucking ridiculous. Um, I'm sorry. I could find the really boring, happy ones for you. <laughs> no, I'm just saying they're like throwing shit at a wall and seeing like what I don't know. I uh-huh. just you're not wrong. You're not wrong. That's really what I feel like a lot of psychology science was. Yeah, they're like, it maybe hmm. is. Okay, so they're shocking people. They're shocking people. I also found a whole list of like psychological experiments uh that people have done they're kind of like this and throwing shit at a wall so um be prepared there will be more Mm. okay so conversion therapy as a whole dates back to like the early 1900s german psychiatrist albert von schrecknatzing said that he had successfully turned a gay man straight through hypnosis okay a few years later, an Austrian psychologist or psychiatrist and doctor started to do testicle transplants. No. Let's what? think about this for just a second. He okay. took the testicles off of a gay man okay. and transplanted a heterosexual testicle onto the gay man to see if this would make him straight. Where the fuck did they get the second set? <laughs> That's a great question. It did not say. No, you can't just swap <laughs> testicles. Oh, wait, what year was that? Uh, in the 1890s. No, that's too soon. That's like <laughs> way too soon to have done that. That's only like 120, 30 years ago. Okay, are these like cadaver balls? That's my hope, but how would they know the person was straight? I don't know. Maybe because they were married to a woman, but that, as we know, Uh -uh. that doesn't actually mean anything. Beards are everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, testicle transplants were a thing for a short period of time. Mm. I don't think that they were effective. I'm 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 going to go ahead and say no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So, America is obviously not exempt. We've talked about um, the research from the UK and Manchester our German guy who turned people straight through hypnosis, Mm -hmm. the Austrian uh, heterosexual testicle transplants, and the United States, a University of Pennsylvania professor and psychiatrist named Samuel B. Hayden was doing his own experiments. He explained that over the course of his experiment, patients shared and interpreted each other's dreams, cast aside their flamboyant clothes and manners, and worked through their hostilities and neuroses to begin dating women. So this is like the father of conversion therapy. Oh, no. So Samuel B. Hayden? Samuel B. Hayden. We hate him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, and at this point, what started out as psychology and psychiatry 
and and a desire to change people's physical minds turned into basically a religious battle for people's hearts and souls. Faith-based quote-unquote experts started getting involved in therapy camps and conferences to pray away the gay. Okay. You can't pray away the gay. This was done using shame, emotional and physical abuse, um, aversion therapy, and lobotomies. And when Faith got involved, they also started using exorcisms and even sexual violence (gasps) to try and change people's sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah. Every so often, I feel like I should text you and let you know what the topic is if it's going to be really hard. (laughs) I need a heads up here. (laughs) Um, The practice peaked in the 1990s and 2000s when religious groups Hmm. like Love and Action, Hope for Wholeness, and Brothers on a Road Less Traveled were launched with the goals of, quote, ending unwanted and incongruous, incongruous? How do you say this word? Incongruency? It's not a C. It's incongruence. Incongruous. In conclusion. Same-sex attractions. Mm. Incongruous. Nope. Only one G. I'm going to phone a friend. Okay. You're the friend. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever read a word so many times that you realize you've never said it out loud, but you know exactly what the word is because you've read it so many times? Yeah. When I was reading um, the book about climbing Everest, Mm -hmm. there was a character's name that was repeated over and over again. I think his name was Angdorhi Sherpa. But we don't know because we've never heard it or said it out loud. Exactly. Except you just said it out loud. So, you know, there's that. Okay. Um, Into thin air. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Most saw homosexuality as a mental disorder that needed to be cured. This was partially because the American Psychiatric Association listed homosexuality in the DSM in 1952. Again, reminder, Mm -hmm. the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for the the Diagnosis of Mental Disorders. Um, We've already done an episode. Go back and check it out. It was also believed that homosexual desire was a form of psychosocial maladjustment resulting from childhood, which sounds very Freudian. It really does. Yep. A year later, in 1953, President Eisenhower banned homosexuals from working for the federal government through Executive Order 10450. I did not know that. I did not know that either. It gets even more interesting which sparked the, quote, war on gays. No wars. So this was uh, 52, 53. So about seven years later is when uh, the Stonewall riots happened, Mm -hmm. right? That was like 1960, I think. Um, So the listing of the DSM changed in 1973. So about 20 years later, the DSM was like, nah, we were wrong. Let's take this out. The executive order that President Eisenhower signed was not explicitly repealed until 2017. No way. When Barack Obama signed a new executive order, the last of his administration. Wow. I know. I got chills. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So it may not surprise you that eventually the American Psychological Association deemed aversion therapy dangerous and ineffective. Mm-hmm. What should surprise you is that it took nearly 30 years. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, and 1994 is when the APA deemed it 
dangerous and ineffective. Also interesting that it was hadn't even reached its height at right, that point. Yeah. Like 1990s to 2000s is when conversion therapy really kind of spiked. Mm-hmm. Currently, conversion therapy is banned in 20 states and Washington, D.C., and has been denounced by queer organizations, discredited by medical professionals, and deemed destructive by the American Psychiatric Association and many other organizations. North Carolina, where we currently are, mm-hmm. has only a partial ban, but not a total ban for minors mm. for conversion therapy. What does that mean? What's so, a partial ban? Um, I think it has more to do with like parents' consent or even like encouraging it. Um, there just there are some restrictions, but it's still legal mm. in North Carolina. Okay, so we don't love that. No, we don't. In July of 2019, Amazon pulled conversion therapy books off of its website. Google had also removed an app that was promoting conversion therapy techniques, and former leaders began speaking out. Um, former leaders of like religious conversion therapy programs began speaking out against conversion therapy, and some have even come out as gay themselves. And are dating each other. And are now dating each other. Mm-hmm. I know the couple. We're thinking about the same couple. Are we? Mm-hmm. Aww. Um, I think this is also really important when we talk about Chick-fil-A and why so many queer people avoid Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, the CEOs of Chick-fil-A spend a lot of money funding conversion therapy programs. Mm-hmm. Like this aversion therapy, conversion therapy, shock therapy to treat homosexuality is still happening in places like North Carolina and all over the country Mm -hmm. um, and minors are still being subjected to this even though everyone is basically saying this is really traumatic we need to stop Mm -hmm. according to a study from the williams institute um, at the university of california los angeles in 2018 more than 695,000 people have undergone conversion therapy in the united states wow and thousands more will likely experience it in the coming years before until bans are enacted wow that's so many people i know ah i know um the apa the american psychological association did research using a task force in 2007 and found that there is clear evidence that conversion therapy does not work and significant evidence that is actually harmful to lgbtq plus people Mm -hmm. research on the issue found that queer young people who were rejected um, because of their gay or trans identity, were eight times as likely to have committed suicide or to have attempted suicide, mm-hmm. um, six times as likely to report high levels of depression, three times as likely to use illegal drugs, and three times as likely to be at high risk for HIV and STDs. Mm-hmm. Of course, part of the issue here is that we also don't have comprehensive sex ed that's queer friendly and focused absolutely um, that educates people on what to do and how to be safe oh my god abstinence only does not fucking work (laughs) abstinence only and also heterosexual only lenses don't work like i learned a little bit about sex ed even though i wasn't supposed to because we're a uh, abstinence only state Mm -hmm. but everything i learned was about straight people Mm -hmm. like there's just such a major gap And I think one of the things that's so interesting about aversion and conversion therapies are how they shape people's understanding of queer issues and gay and trans issues. 
Because if there's a belief by a percentage of the population that this is a choice and that you can be trained to not be this way, Mm -hmm. then it enables other people's prejudice to exist. Like, we are saying that things are fine. We can continue treating humans like shit because we disagree with their lifestyle. Right. Um, But at this point, nearly every major medical and psychological organization has denounced the use of conversion therapy as a viable option for parents who are concerned about their children's sexual orientation and gender identity. While today is National Coming Out Day, it feels important to note that the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, recently called LGBTQ people filth <gasps> and has been called to resign immediately. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, what does Coop have to say about that? I haven't read a statement from Coop yet. Okay. Yep. But uh, he said this at a church in, not Pittsburgh, he said this at a church. Um, that someone happened to be filming and uh, footage was leaked. Oh, wow. So the fight is not over and it's also not just for white folks. It cannot be through the lens of this is a white issue. Mm -hmm. This is an everybody issue that we all need to work together to make sure that other voices that might be increasingly marginalized are brought to the forefront of this conversation, especially as we're thinking about Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm -hmm. Like queer Indigenous people... Two-spirit people um, have experienced even more trauma Mm -hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. So wherever you are on your coming out journey, um, we see you and we want to validate your experiences and we hope that you are in a safe place because conversion therapy is terrifying and no human being deserves to be treated. Absolutely. And still such a reality um i mean just thinking about like elections that have happened in our lifetime like the you know in the late 90s and early 2000s people that was like a topic of that was a topic during debates was whether people you know supported same sex marriage or marriage equality oh it's still on the table like i remember trump talking about how he wanted to repeal the right for queer people to get married um, I was also talking with someone recently who didn't realize, A, what don't ask, don't tell is, and mm-hmm. B, that it had been repealed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. having to explain don't ask, don't tell, which had been a policy since like the 90s, mm-hmm. um, to a straight white man was an interesting experience. I remember very vividly at a party in college uh, talking about don't ask, don't tell with somebody who was in the military. And it was it was just a really difficult conversation. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was it was kind of it was difficult. We were not going to agree. No, which is so interesting, because if someone is signing up to serve the country, um, who cares who you love? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the world is a better place the more people that you love. And Absolutely. Limiting people's experiences of healthy love or traumatizing them more um, just hurts everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So this one uh, was, of course, a heavier topic, but I think really important, especially on National Coming Out Day, because people are scared to mm-hmm. come out to their families and their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fear is valid. And it's also a thing that the 
gay community cannot fight back on its own. Like we need allies to be on our sides and to figure out how to help us fight against these religious um, stereotypes and prejudices. Mm -hmm. Because I think the medical and psychological communities have really taken great Mm -hmm. advancements. A lot of progress. Yeah. Now we just need the religious community to get on board and figure out that this is actually hurting people. I've seen a lot of progress in that field as well. I have too. You know, we live in a conservative state, but in a progressive city. And so that could also be part of it, like understanding that people live outside of the bubble that we do. But Mm -hmm. um, personally, I've seen a lot of signs on churches. Yeah. um, Especially within the past two years, just being a little bit more open about their political beliefs. Yeah. Kind of all around. Well, I remember when I was first, when I first moved to Greensboro um, from my hometown, and I had, I was a youth group leader at my church growing up. Um, and then moving to Greensboro, I felt like I needed to be involved in a church because I was still like pretty religious at that point. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to go about finding a church that I would feel safe at. Mm-hmm. That's and when you almost joined a cult. <laughs> I did almost join a cult. Have we talked about that? Yeah. Good. Um, almost joined a cult. And then I was told about this website that um, had a list of accepting and affirming churches. Mm-hmm. So that's how I found um, one that I ended up going to for about a year and a half or two years. Oh, I love that. We should yeah. link that. Yeah, we should absolutely link that. Love it. Well, on this National Coming Out Day, for all of our listeners who belong to the LGBT mafia, we see you, we love you, and we support you. Blink we, twice, keep listening. <laughs> we, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're talking about P.T. Barnum. Ooh, that sounds like a lot more fun. Wait, is it? We'll see. We'll see. All right. And we're back. All right, y'all. We are going to be talking about P.T. Barnum. Is this going to be the greatest show? This is going to be a show that is <laughs> different than The Greatest Showman. Okay. In so many ways. I actually kind of break it down. Um, so buckle up. <laughs> all right. I'm trying to think of Greatest Showman's songs. So be prepared. Okay. I know at least three. Perfect. That's yeah. a good even number. Yeah. Phineas Taylor Barnum was born July 5th, 1810 in Beethen, Connecticut. Phineas Taylor? What a cute little name. Isn't that cute? Um, His father was Philo Barnum, and he was a tailor and also managed a store. So that part is true. Good. Barnum went out onto his own and actually managed his own general store at one point. And he even started his own newspaper in 1829 at the age of 19. He an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. He is an entrepreneur. We can give him that. But he's also kind of a piece of shit. Wow. <laughs> so he gets into show business at the age of 25 in literally the most terrible way you can ever imagine. Oh, shit. Quote. 
He began his career as a showman in 1835 when he was 25 with the purchase and exhibition of a blind and almost completely paralyzed woman named Joyce Heath, whom an acquaintance was trumpeting around Philadelphia as George Washington's former nurse and 161 years old. They were telling everybody she was George Washington's nurse. Is that not fucking ridiculous? And that she was 161 years old. And that she was 161 years old. And he purchased her. So slavery was already outlawed in New York, but he was, he exploited a loophole, which allowed him to lease her for a year for $1,000, borrowing 500 to complete the sale. Heath died in February 1836 at no more than 80 years old. Barnum had worked her for 10 to 12 hours a day and had hosted a live autopsy of her body in New York. <gasps> even after she died, even after he was she died, exploiting her. Where spectators paid 50 cents, end quote. Fucked up. Oh my I God. I know. So in 1836, he began his variety troupe called Barnum's Grand Scientific and Musical Theater. And it didn't go over well, as well as he'd hoped. It wasn't a failure, like, by any means, but it certainly wasn't the success that he had hoped for. He then began to fix up the space and invested in the building. He upgraded some of his acts, and after his investment, he started to see a return on his investments. He rebranded and named it Barnum's American Museum. And this is when he really hit his stride. He started to become successful. And increasingly shitty, I'm assuming. And the shittiness is... Nothing is as shitty as... as the first thing. As the first thing. Okay. But we'll, I'll let you be the, the judge. So he added a lighthouse to the top of the building so that people could see it in the dark. And it was like, like an attention thing. Huh. So everybody was like, oh, you know that museum with the lighthouse on top? Like pretty brilliant branding, to be honest. For sure. And then during the day, they had these giant flags on top. So everybody was kind of curious to see like what exactly it was. And people definitely knew of the business. Barnum turned the roof into a garden so that... People could walk on top of the building and enjoy the view of the city. And if it's one thing we know about New Yorkers is that they love a rooftop experience. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) So to top it off, he was launching hot air balloon rides from the roof as well. He's really just like checking off everything that he can think of. He's like, okay, build a lighthouse. Check. Put it on top. Put it on the garden on the top. (laughs) Send off air, hot air balloons. Yeah. People love a good top garden, you know? With a hot air balloon. Yeah. And he employed a variety of acts. Some were more tasteful than others. And originally, he had more of like a taxidermy experience. And it was part of the rebranding that he started to include, include like live acts. These included, quote, Albinos, giants, little people, jugglers, magicians, exotic women, detailed models of cities and famous battles, and a menagerie of animals. End quote. All right. So when we see something like The Greatest Showman, we are seeing a narrative surrounding a man who gives people a platform of empowerment. However, during my research, I saw he was much more exploitative. I mean, that's not surprising given kind of the narrative of freak shows that we know. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is that people will pay anything to see a curiosity. Mm-hmm. And if you're marketing curiosities, you're not in this for the good of, you know, humanity. Yeah. You're in this to make money. It's mm-hmm. capitalism. Yep. Yep. Like you're doing the best you can to make money on other people. Yeah. And exploiting other people. Yep. Quote, in 1842, Barnum introduced his first major hoax, a creature with the body of a monkey and the tail of a fish known as the Fiji mermaid. He leased it from a fellow museum owner, Moses Kimball of Boston, who became his friend, confidant, and collaborator. Barnum justified his hoaxes by saying that they were advertisements to draw attention to the museum. Quote, I don't believe in duping the public, he said, but I believe in first attracting and then pleasing them. He followed the mermaid by exhibiting Charles Stratton, the little person called General Tom Thumb, who was then four years old, but was stated to be 11. Oh, with heavy coaching and natural talent, the boy was taught to imitate people from Hercules to Napoleon. He was drinking wine by age five and smoking cigars by age seven for the public's amusement. In 1843, Barnum hired the Native American dancer Fu Hum Mi, the first of many First Nations people whom he presented. During 1845, 44 to 45, he toured with General Tom Thumb in Europe and met Queen Victoria. By late 1846, Barnum's Museum was drawing 400,000 visitors a year. Wow. I know. I know. Wow. Annie Jones um, is eventually, she eventually comes to join um, as an employee of his. Uh, She is eventually referred to as the bearded lady. Annie has a condition called hirsutism, where she grows facial hair um, more rapidly than most. And in The Greatest Showman, we see Barnum recruits her as an adult, but that is not true. No. Yeah. Ooh. I hate this. I know. He recruited her at nine months old. What? Yes. Nine months. Nine months old. And he paid her parents $150 a week. Okay. Okay. So they they called her the bearded girl until she got old enough, and then they called her the bearded lady. Aww. I mean, fucking child labor laws, geez yeah. Louise. Poor Annie. I know. Captain George Constantinus was also on his team. He was known as the tattooed man. He claimed to be a descendant of nobility in Albania, and it is said that he was traveling in Tartary. I'm not sure if that's how I... Tartary? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, And he stumbled upon a rebellion in the area. And he and his travel mates sided with the rebels um, and then were taken prisoners by the king. Their punishment was to undergo three months of non-consensual tattooing. So he's tattooed from head to toe. Three months of non-consensual tattooing. Yeah, like his torture. What a fascinating form of torture. Mm Mm-hmm. Altogether, he has 387 tattoos across his body. And although we can't confirm his story is true, his tattoos were proven to be traditional Burmese-like tattoos. Oh, interesting. 
Fedora Jeffy Chu was also a member. He was known as Jojo the Dog Face Boy. Fedora had a medical condition called hypertrichosis, which again causes hair to grow all over the body. He joined the team at age 16, and he came all the way from Russia. Is he the one, uh, or not him specifically, but I know that there's a condition that inspired like Beauty and the Beast, I think. Oh, this um, could be it. Yeah, where the person who inspired it was actually a prince, but had like this condition that caused hair to be like really long and grow really long all over his body. Interesting. I had, I, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I'm not sure, but that it could sound definitely possible. Yeah. yeah. Barnum married a woman named Charity Hallett in 1829, so we're kind of going back a little bit, but they had four children together, and it is said that they were very much in love, which brings me to my next point, which is a common misconception from The Greatest Showman. Barnum employed a woman named Jenny Lind, aka the Swedish Nightingale, He met her in Europe when he was on tour with Tom Thumb, and he paid her to sing, to come to the U.S. on tour, paid her $1,000 a day. Wow. For 150 days. That's a lot of money. all expenses were paid. In the 18-somethings? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So while uh, the movie The Greatest Showman tells us that they were on the brink of having an affair, this is not true. In fact, Jenny Lind is actually an angel. <laughs> I said Jenny. <laughs> oh, my notes are funny. In fact, Jenny Lind is actually an angel, and she donated all of her earnings from the tour. Oh, to who? To various charities, I'm assuming. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Actual angel Jenny. Mm-hmm. AAJ. AAJ. In 1865, there was a fire at Barnum's American Museum, and it burned to the ground. There is speculation on the origins of the fire. However, it is thought to be arson. One theory is that it was from the angry people who thought that Barnum was doing, like, presenting bad and bad Mm -hmm. things. Um, But the most likely story is that it was politically motivated, Because Barnum had been speaking out publicly as being pro-union. In fact, quote, his addition of pro-unionist lectures, exhibits, and dramas had incited a Confederate arsonist to start a fire there the year prior. If the 1865 fire was arson, it's likely it was spurred on by Burnham's unionist sympathies, not due to outrage over the sideshows at his museum. After the fire, he quickly reopened the American Museum at another location, but it too burned down. That sounds like arson. It sounds like karma. <laughs> <laughs> or karma. <laughs> um, so that happened in 1863, leading him to enter the circus business. End quote. So, five years after the second, or five years after the fire, at the age of 60 years old, P.T. Barnum starts his circus. I had no idea he was that old. Yeah. In 1870, he partnered with William Cameron Coop and Costello to start P.T. Barnum's Grand Traveling Museum, Menagerie, Karav, and Hippodrome? Sure. It's a really long name. 
It's a really long name. It really long. Does name. not sound like it would fit well on a business card. Not a marketing no guy. No, whoever did the lighthouse, we need to bring him back right. for marketing now. <laughs> um, but the name eventually went on to be called the greatest traveling show on earth. He took full control of the circus in 1875, and then six years after that, he teamed up with James A. Bailey. I knew he was coming in at some point. Yeah, and then James L. Hutchinson, and they started bringing in high-profile acts like Jumbo, who was an elephant. In 1887, the circus was rebranded once again as Barnum and Bailey's Brothers' Greatest Show on Earth. Um, I have a fun fact about elephants and circuses. What is your fun fact about elephants and circuses? So when I was living in the most haunted town in America, Shepherdstown, West Virginia, mm-hmm. um, a traveling circus had come through. I could not recently. Get it. No, no, okay. no, no, no. This was like in the eight, late 1800s. Oh, okay. I could not confirm that it was Barnum and Bailey. However, it could have been like the East Coast train uh-huh. tracks. Um, so it would have made sense, but apparently they stopped and, um, an elephant died <gasps> while they were there. So there's an elephant buried in the front of the Presbyterian church, <gasps> uh, in this small town. Wow. Yep, the elephants on the ghost tour of the town. If you ever get to do the ghost tour. I would love to see an elephant ghost, like more than like a lot of things <laughs> on this earth. I would love to see an elephant ghost. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I would so hate. Bad. He died. I know. I would hate to think about why he died. Yeah. But, uh, well, Elephant Ghost, if you ever want to go on a ghost tour at Shepherdstown. I do. Why did you never pitch this when I was there visiting you? Because <laughs> you only came up twice. I came up more than that. I came did up. You? Yes, I came up more than that. Oh. Well, in that case, I'm really sorry. I came and up I owe for you. your birthday. Uh huh. Okay, but that was in Hagerstown. Wait, Jake- how many towns? <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I lived a lot of places. Wait, wait, wait. Where was Shepherdstown? Shepherdstown was... Uh, is that that had the good brunch spot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, is that the place, the tiny, tiny yep. place you lived? Yep. So we painted the cinder blocks. Yeah. So if you walk out of my apartment, the uh-huh. church that was on the corner right there that you could like spit at and hit from my apartment, there was an elephant buried in the front yard. Wow. I can't believe I never told you this. You never once told me that. Well, I'm so glad to be able to tell you now on, on, on air. Mm-hmm. What funny story from that trip you were like hey i want to build a bookshelf (laughs) and i was like you could buy a bookshelf and you were like no i should really i want to make it yeah so then we go to the hardware store get the items uh to be clear we're building a cinder block bookshelf because my dad had sold me on the idea of cinder Mm -hmm. block bookshelves Mm -hmm. thanks steve so we we were like physically like carrying all these cinder blocks anyway we painted them blue mm-hmm. and then after like 30 minutes of painting we were like oh i feel kind of funny and we'd forgotten to f- open raise the, damn the window, window. Yep. yep one of the two windows in the entire apartment yeah the view was not happening for you in that particular it place. was not but i loved that little apartment it was my first time living alone you had a fire extinguisher that you shared with three other apartments i did <laughs> and i was the one who needed it the most <laughs> Oh, somebody listening is like, that is my apartment. (laughs) I'm still in touch with one of the other people in that apartment. So do they still live there? Mm -hmm. I think so. Wow. Yep. She lived there for a few years before me. Okay. So So she is committed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
You didn't have a full size anything, so I would. Nope. Yeah, I had a mini fridge, a mini uh, stove. Stove. Mm-hmm. We got down a real mini deep wormhole here. <laughs> mini shower. Yeah. Yep. Mini sink. Mini sink for sure in the kitchen and in the bathroom. Yep. Yep. It was like a Barbie house. Yeah, it was a good time. The show evolved and they incorporated more acts. The staff grew and they needed a way to transport the performers and the animals. Quote, each train was a mile long with roughly 60 cars, 36 passenger cars, four stock cars, 20 freight cars, and then one for all the elephant bones. And they clearly stopped in Shepherdstown. They clearly stopped. I'm going to go ahead and say it's fact. I'm going to stop in Shepherdstown. An elephant died. Elephant died, buried in your front. It was buried under the apartment you lived in. Let's just go ahead and oh, say Oh, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just gets better every time. Each train presented a different edition of the show using a numbering system that dates back to Circus Origins in 1871. So they would send the blue train to this place, the red train to this place, and then they would switch. Hmm. So it's a way for like you to you know have a variety of your show yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. It's fascinating. So they got the marketing guy back on board. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the circus has seen a few scandals in its time, and we are going to discuss three, three scandals. Oh, I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. The Hartford Circus Fire happened on July 6, 1944, 44, in Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing such a great job tonight <laughs> in Hartford, Connecticut over eight no I can't over 8,000 people were in attendance at this event and it is said to be one of the worst fire disasters in U.S. history the reason that the fire spread so quickly was because the tent itself had been waterproofed which in 1944 meant that they had fireproofed it with a mixture of highly flammable paraffin and fucking gasoline. So they waterproofed it, but, but did not fireproof, fireproof it. it. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Let's maybe reorganize our priorities. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think they were, they had requested them from the army and the army did not like give them to them. And so they were like, well, we have to waterproof these tents ourselves. I don't know how they got the formula. Very, you know, great with the waterproofing. Not so great with the fire. For sure. 167 people died in this fire and hundreds were injured. One of the dead was called Little Miss 1565. Oh, I know. Little Miss 1565? Yeah. I don't know why that year. Maybe the, I don't know. Oh. Um, Was she a performer, I guess? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. But she was not positively identified until 1991 <gasps> through DNA. What? I know. Fascinating. Fascinating. Management members were found negligent, and some of the executives of the company served jail sentences. Um, and they spent the next 10 years setting aside profits to pay for claims filed against them due to this incident. Seems fitting. Seems fitting. Scandal number two. The circus sued Kid Rock for using its slogan, the greatest show on earth, (laughs) to refer to one of his tours, which (laughs) I highly doubt. I highly doubt. I hate Kid Rock so much. 
Well, for sure. But my brain, you said Kid Rock, and I was like, what is Kid Rock doing in the 1800s? Like, no, no. It, it, I've, I caught back up. Time passes, Carrie Ann. Thank you. Stop living in the past. I'm sorry. We just jumped around from burying elephants to Kid Rock, mm-hmm. and we've just, it's been a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. We're back. We're back. Okay. Don't call it a comeback. All right. Uh, the third scandal is, of course, one we've heard of. Um, which is the treatment of animals. Yeah. So, quote, many animal rights groups had criticized the circus for their treatment of animals over the years, saying that using them to perform is cruel and unnecessary. Ringling Brothers and Barman Bailey was investigated following the death of a lion who died from heart, who died from heat and lack of water while the circus train was traveling through the Mojave Desert. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. In 1998, the United States Department of Agriculture filed charges against Ringling Brothers for forcing a sick elephant to perform, and Ringling Brothers had to pay a $20,000 fine. From 2007 to 2011, the United States Department of Agriculture conducted inspections of the circuses, animals, facilities, and records, finding noncompliance with the agency's regulations. The allegations were brought forth by PETA. In March 2015, the entertainment industry that owns Ringling Brothers announced that it would stop using elephants in its shows by 2018. But with weakening attendance, many animals' rights protests, and high operating costs, the circus performed its final show, May 21st, 2017, and closed after 146 years. I had no idea that they had stopped. uh, Yeah. That they closed. Yeah, people got really pissed about the animal part. Oh, I remember. Rightfully so. Um, It also pains me that we never got pissed about the human part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, after a certain point, like, Ringling Brothers became an actual employer. um, Right. But before, and I couldn't, like, give you a date, but yeah, super shitty for, like, a really long time. Yeah, yeah. At least the first 40-something years of the hundred. Yeah. At least. Because I know that, like, circus acts and circus performers now, like, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Like, fire dancers and tightrope walkers and aerialists. Like, that's huge. Oh, yeah. It's like Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, And hopefully they're a little bit more compassionate towards their human employees, but... That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I mean, uh, like, this shit does not... um, I mean, it just shows the how inconsiderate and how exploitative people could be, um, you know, for business purposes. Yeah. Well, and dehumanizing because when you see anyone who's different and you put them on display, what you're doing is saying, this isn't actually a human. This is an object for you to look at and gawk at. Well, and I'm fine with the adults who decide who came over consentingly, but so we have Annie, who was nine months old, unable to consent to any of this. And she was employed by this man up until she was old enough to be called a lady yeah. instead of a girl. Yeah. yeah. So. Now, I think it's tragic what they did to human beings um, and animals and really anything for money. Yeah. Is what it sounds like PT was in it for. Yeah. 
So I do appreciate the movie The Greatest Showman separating itself and like creating a whole other narrative. Like they invented characters that weren't even yeah weren't even actually in it. Um, and it definitely like speaks of empowerment and all that stuff. But history is very different than Hollywood. Yeah, it absolutely is. Kind of like Pocahontas. Like, the Mm -hmm. Disney movie of Pocahontas has very little in common with the true story of Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I mean, watching the Disney movie, you just need to know the actual history. Right, exactly. Yeah, Understanding the difference, for sure. Exactly. What was Hollywood or Disney versus what actually happened? Mm -hmm. But you're right. Like, The Greatest Showman has what has become a queer anthem Mm -hmm. um and this is me yeah i can't tell you the number of drag shows i've seen using this is me since that since the movie came out yeah um so it's fascinating to see how history can be interpreted that way Mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right so how did these topics correlate great question allison i'm so glad you brought it up Mm -hmm. um I think the easiest and most obvious is the uh, dehumanizing of people for religious or monetary gain. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, uh, for sure. In conversion therapy, you're essentially stripping people of their autonomy Mm -hmm. and um, identity, identity in order to fit a religious agenda. Um, and like you're literally forcing people to change who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the circus or in uh, P.T. Barnum's case, he was exploiting humans for money and dehumanizing them and putting them on display mm-hmm. for people to gawk at so that he could make money. So I think in both cases, there's a lack of understanding about what you're actually doing to humans and the trauma that you're causing and perpetuating. I wonder how he distanced himself from it because as a adult, like with children and a partner, you know, you're bringing this tiny human who's nine months old into your shit show. Yeah. (laughs) And how do you reconcile that? I, I think that's really a fantastic question. And I mean, we'd probably have to do a lot more digging to really understand like how he treated the people like clearly he was using them. And it's at a time period where he does not have to think about how it would affect other people. The only thing that matters at that time was him and his business. Yeah. And society as a whole then wasn't, you know, didn't find value in figuring out how other people felt about pretty much anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, And I think that that's maybe one of the things I really like about The Greatest Showman is that it was about people finding a place and belonging. And it was about more than just exploitation, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a really powerful narrative, even if it's not historically accurate. Right. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And the music is just (laughs) top notch. It is. It's. I actually haven't been back to watch it in like maybe a year. It's not on my like current rotation of Mm -hmm. 
musicals, though Sister Act 1 and 2 have made it the whole way through, at least twice in the past Oh, my God. So... Ray and I are trying to figure out what our first dance song is going to be. And I keep going back to like, so in Sister Act 2, during the credits, it's Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And I was like, would it not be so funny if we did our first dance to that version? Oh, please. (laughs) Please. I tried to pull the audio, though, and it's not. It's it's, not as good. It's not good. But I was like, that would be so fucking funny. That would be fantastic. Fantastic! Oh, yeah. I love that idea. We'll see. How much fun? We'll see. Um, Sister Act is just such a gem of a movie. It is so good. <laughs> it's unfair how good they are. It's perfect. And Lauren Hill is in them. Like, or the second one, at least. Anyways. um, Well, I hope you find a good first dance song. Oh, we will. Yeah. Maybe revisit The Greatest Showman. Uh We'll see. Um, so you and I were talking before we started recording about our friendship and how long we've been friends and how long we've yeah, known each other. Yeah, you threw out this giant number, said I knew you for half our lives. And yeah. I, I, I believed you for a second. I was like, <laughs> really? You didn't even question it. I love that that's where we are. It feels that way, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, but no, it's only been like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So a third of our lives. Yeah. Not quite half yet. Yeah. Um, I think of time in like gestational periods. Is that, is that not weird? I, I just think I'm like, oh, that's like, you know, 10 babies. Yeah. Or five elephants. <laughs> or five <laughs> elephants. Because, oh my God, they're pregnant for two years? Yeah, they're pregnant for like 22 months. Oh my God, that's way too long to be pregnant. Are you kidding me? No, longest. No wonder they're bonded for life. Right? Jesus Christ. The longest gestational period of any mammal. Any mammal? Any mammal. Wow. Yeah. So we could have five baby elephants in our friendship right now. Well, we'd have to. Never mind. I was going to say bury them in a church, but they're babies. <laughs> no. Uh, no. 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 Oh, my goodness. All right. Great intersections. Love it for you. Love it um, for us. Love it for us. Love it for Dolly. You know, we are going to be doing some Patreon picks in the next couple of episodes. Oh, yeah. So if you want to choose an episode topic for us, Head on over to patreon.com. You can search for us under podcast without an audience and you can choose a topic for us. It's super fun. We've had some really good recommendations. I'm excited for Mm -hmm. ours. Mm -hmm. Also super excited for our cult episode that is going to be coming out towards the end of October and spooky season. Getting you real ready for spooky weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. So really looking forward to that. We have a really good number of reviews at this point. So we need them to keep coming in. It helps us a lot, especially when you review them on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Just Um, let us know what you think. We like hearing from you. Five star reviews. We love it. Mm -hmm. We love it. And thank you guys for those who have um, done them recently. I am sending out stickers to some tomorrow. So by the time this comes out, you might already have them. That would be exciting. Depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. But we love you. Thank so you guys much. so, so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. 
shoot us an email at podwithoutanod at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.